the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 154. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February 1st through February 14th. We have a total of three books to cover and uh, some small news bits and one really giant news bit. So let's get straight into the news. The first thing we've got is... I want to talk about uh, some covers. Uh, if you remember a couple... Uh, couple episodes back, uh, it was Batman Eternal number 39. Um, we, we kind of talked about this, I think this was like two episodes ago when we, the last time we had listener Q&As, someone brought up the fact that there was an owl very, very, very prominently featured on the cover of uh, Batman Eternal number 39, and, uh, and then I sat there and said, yes, you know, there is an owl, we would assume that that means that, you know, the Court of Owls is coming up, but nothing was really hinted at other than just an owl being on the cover. Um, and then that led to a discussion about, you know, do covers actually, are, are, are covers there just to deceive us in general? Well, speaking of which, now, I, I normally don't do this, but we're recording this on February 16th, and by the, by the time you're listening well, to this, issue 46 and 47 will have already released, uh, or 46 will have released, 47 will be coming out in a little less than a week by the time you're listening to this, but I wanted to talk about two covers. Uh, the issue, well, I guess three covers. Issue 46, as we'll talk about when we get to Eternal 45, and I guess this is a spoiler for those of you who haven't read it, the end of uh, issue 45 hints at Ra's al Ghul possibly being the big bad behind everything. So mm-hmm. the cover for 46 prominently features Ra's al Ghul. Which, obviously, you know, if you read 45, you know that it's leading up to Batman dealing with Ra's al Ghul, so that makes sense. But there's a couple of issues coming up in the coming weeks. Uh, first up, 47 has Hush on the cover. Um, having, he's in the Batcave, and he has Alfred tied up to a chair. Um, and then 48 has the Penguin. Now, the Penguin hasn't been seen in quite some time. He's currently incarcerated in some prison. Hush obviously hasn't been seen, even though he is still locked up in the Batcave. We haven't actually seen him on the page, even though we've seen uh, Bruce in the Batcave multiple times since he was, you know, I guess, jailed up in the Batcave. So it's interesting that we're bringing these these villains back into the fold. And I just kind of wanted to, I guess, rehash the discussion we had a couple episodes ago about covers in general and what their purpose is. I guess on, on Dustin's point about covers, I think that the, the truest example is that covers are there to induce sales. Um, I, I don't really feel that, I mean, sometimes I think that there is some core, there is obviously some correlation, but I, I can put a suggestive image up there and it relates in some way, even if it's kind of a seven steps away deal to, to the story. I think that's what they do. I liked how, uh, when I first started off with my, uh, with my own podcast, 
I loved how reading the issues, the cover was actually a panel taken from within the issue. And I thought, wow, what a novel idea that it relates and it's so truthful and it's actually in the issue. And I, I don't think we can really count on the covers doing much like that now. I, I think I would say maybe 60% of the time it does have something to do with the story, but I think it's more about being like eye popping and really get audience members engaged in what is happening. You know, I just looked at uh, Gotham Academy number four, which I know is last month, but Kyle is on the cover and, you know, with Maps and Olive, and Kyle has nothing to do with what Maps and Olive are doing. So I think it's just about, you know, making an engaging cover, getting people excited. I think in overall the theme is... The theme surrounding the inside of the co- the issue is on the cover, but other than that, I think it's just artistic freedom, really. And I would agree. I think uh, the the biggest phrase that I would use to describe covers in general is eye candy to engage sales. But the thing that I, I guess is slightly annoying is when you have a weekly series and you don't see some of the covers up until you know a week or two before the release date because there's only one cover that actually is shown for the solicits. I think it's slightly, uh, okay. I, I, okay. I guess in my mind, I'm looking at a cover and I'm sitting here thinking it would be awesome to see a cover and kind of get hints at what is to come, but that's not necessarily the case. The fact that Rosal Gould's on number 46, but then he's not on either 47 or 48 means that to me, at least it comes across as well. The Roz thing's going to get wrapped up in one issue. It was they wanted to include Roz in some way, and this is how they're doing it. So I I like covers because most of the time covers are pretty good and they're great art. But at the same time, it also is slightly annoying that sometimes the cover is better than the art that's inside the actual issue as well. So just wanted to bring that up. All right. The other thing to talk about is if you picked up any of the DC books that released on February 11th, in the back of the uh, issues where they have the Channel 52 stuff, one of the mentions for that specific week was the mention of the new Suicide Squad that's coming into the books. Um, there was a there was a letter that was written by Brian Cunningham. They they show a lineup of of a lot of the new characters that are going to be coming into Suicide Squad, and it's kind of a odd group of characters, in my opinion. Um, Parasite, Black Hand, Poison Ivy, Reverse Flash, Cheetah, and Talon. Now, I guess the really, honestly, none of these really make a whole lot of sense to me other than they're just trying to put a little bit bigger names, uh, villains into the, the ranks of Suicide Squad. But Poison Ivy is the one that popped out at me, not just because she's part of the Batman universe, but because it wasn't even three years ago that we had Poison Ivy as part of Birds of Prey, and now Mm -hmm. she's going to be part of the Suicide Squad. So I think that was kind of interesting. The fact that they're including Talon just screams, you know, put Scott Snyder into any book possible. Um, But I guess looking at this, you've got Parasite, which is a Superman villain. You've got Black Hand, Green Lantern. Reverse Flash is Flash. you got... Cheetah is Wonder Woman, and then you've got these two Batman villains, and I think it's interesting that they're they're completely changing up the roster. Um, in the letter itself, it talks about the fact that uh, Parasite will be coming in June. Black Hand, 
and Poison Ivy is are, are coming soon. Reverse Flash is already in the issue or in the series as he first appeared in issue five, and then we've got Cheetah and Talon. So I, I guess my question is, as far as Suicide Squad goes, do you think it really makes a difference which characters they use, or do you think it makes more of a difference if the stories are actually worthwhile? No, I, I think that it's really bizarre, one, that they took Harley Quinn out when anything she touched apparently turns to gold recently. Um, but I, I think that the, the composition of the team is likely to draw readers in, while a good story is likely to keep you watching. I mean, if you put villains in that I'm interested in, I'll probably pick it up, and then if I enjoy it, I'll keep reading it. Um, I'm cool with Poison Ivy being in here. I'm really not sure about a character like Black Hand, who's kind of a cosmic heavy hitter, being on, on Suicide Squad, but um, I think you've got to have a good lineup to get people in and, and a story to keep in there, so I guess it's kind of a a hedge answer, but I guess the real answer is you got to have a little bit of both. Yeah, it, certainly a, a hodgepodge mix of people, but you know, I guess that is what the the squad is all about. And I've been reading, you know, Suicide Squad, the I guess the original run, uh, and I think uh, you should have a big cast. So right now they just are showing six of them, and I would almost, you know, combine this cast with the one that they had previous to this, and have a bigger one, and then have sort of rotating membership. Like some missions would use some team members, and others would use, um, you know, the the other the remaining ones, but have perhaps one consistent leader because it seems like that's what uh, John Ostrander was doing, and you know, you would consistently. Have have Ben Bronze Tiger leading the team, and then different people would be utilized for whatever missions would best suit them. Uh, but yeah, certainly interesting. I my question about Ivy, since I had been following, you know, Birds of Prey up until it ended. Obviously, um, the last time we saw her was, I believe, in Batgirl Annual Two, and uh, she was turned into uh, Poison Ice. And um, I just wonder how she got back to this form if she was in, like, a frozen form before. So that would be my question on that. They're just ignoring it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we'll explain why in a minute. But anyway, um, I guess the thing with me is I – now, I will say this. It doesn't say anywhere in this specific letter that the – the villains that we see in this image are the only villains that will appear. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have is, and, and I agree with Ed, like if you combine these with the existing roster of characters and got rid of some of the characters, hey, if they wanted to use Suicide Squad to kill off Joker's daughter, by all means, go right ahead. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but what I will say is this. It, it seems odd timing. Where we have, we're gonna, we're, uh, Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad film is going to start filming in April of this year. And the movie's coming out a year from this August, so August of 2016. And they choose this time of all times to kind of mess with the established cast of, you know, not, not necessarily the established cast of characters, but the characters that are predominantly being used in Suicide Squad. Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, you know, to a degree, Harley Quinn. You know, it feels like the wrong time to be doing this, but at the same time, if this is what they're trying to do to make sure that the book starts to get better sales because the movie's coming out and then they resort back to, you know, the more 
traditional set of characters, then I guess I'm fine with it. It just seems like making an announcement to say, hey, these characters are coming is is great, but if it takes away from the characters themselves, I have a problem with them constantly changing up the roster of characters if they're not doing enough to, you know, develop the individual characters in the book. You know, Harley obviously is developed in her own series, developed in, you know, she, she's she got another mini-series that we'll talk about in a minute that's coming out. But some of these characters don't have anywhere else that they are appearing. So developing the characters is important, and that's what keeps people around is the further development of characters. Get you invested in these specific characters. If you're constantly changing the roster completely, where if they are wiping the current roster clean and this is their going forward roster, that's a problem because you're not developing the characters enough. And if you've been reading Suicide Squad, or if you've at the very minimum been reading the reviews over on the website of of New Suicide Squad, you'll understand that there's been a problem with developing the characters in each individual issue. Um, There's not a whole lot of, you know, desire to read more about the characters in Suicide Squad because they're just not being, they're being completely underdeveloped. So, my hope is that if they bring in these these characters, by all means, I have no problem with them bringing in these characters as long as they can develop the characters so that you want to know more about them. I would love for them to decide to take the character out of a book and then suddenly there's you know some fan outcry because the character was written so well and there's so many people who are really interested in it that it warrants their own miniseries or something like that. All right, with that... Let's get into the biggest news. Um, the biggest news of the last two weeks happened on February 6th. There was a giant announcement that for whatever reason happened at four o'clock in the morning um, from DC Comics. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it was, it was only- like when Beyonce released her album at, at some bizarre hour because she didn't want any press attached to it. Yeah. I, and, I, and I almost feel like DC did, did their official release at four in the morning because they already had pre set up stuff with, you know, comic book resources and news drama, IGN, so forth and so on. And because of that, they in turn wanted to make sure that their official stuff came out way before all of that stuff happened, you know, at the crack of dawn for all those other, you know, news companies. So the big announcement is that starting in June, there are going to be 24 new comic book titles. Um, this will happen directly after the Convergence events. These 24 books will join the 25 existing titles for a total of 49 titles, not 52. Surprise, surprise. Um, the publisher decided that they are not 52 issues, which is one of the things that they've been so stuck to since the beginning of the new 52. Um, now, it's important to note that Convergence is an event to re-examine many of the old alternate continuities and the current New 52 continuity will continue in both existing and new titles and will just not include the New 52 label. That's right, they are getting rid of the New 52 label. Kind of reminds me of that time where they had the 299, we stand the line at 299 or whatever it was, and then that didn't last very long. But <sighs> at least New 52 lasts a little bit longer. But anyway, um, they also stated that some of the titles that they're adding is will be mini-series instead of, uh, you know, ongoing series. Um, there will be six-issue limited series. But that also meant that there were some other books that they announced that are being canceled, including Earth 2, Batman and Robin, and Red Hood and the Outlaws. 
Uh, Dan DiDio said in the release that this heralds in a new era for the DC Universe, which will allow us to publish something for everyone, be more expansive and modern in our approach, and tell stories that better reflect the society around us. Whether you've been a DC fan your whole life or whether you're new to comics, there will be a book for you beginning in June. Uh, the article then went on to say DC Comics will be keenly focused on going back to basics with legendary characters like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, while also reinventing key characters such as Black Canary, Bizarro, Cyborg, and Starfire, with a new contemporary tonality to ensure a diverse offering of titles. Um, there's a wide variety of new creators that are going to be attached to some of these books, uh, Jim Lee then went on to say, more than ever before, DC Comics fans are being exposed to our rich portfolio of characters through multiple sources, including an, an, an unprecedented number of highly successful TV shows, video games, and upcoming major motion pictures. We are looking to extend that experience within publishing to ensure there is a comic book for everyone. For example, the fans of Arrow television show may want more stories about Black Canary. Now they can find m- more modern, fresh takes on the character in the pages of her standalone series, both in stores and digitally. Beyond character and creators, the June slate will showcase different styles and approaches to storytelling as we add offbeat, irrelevantly funny such as t- and irrelevantly funny titles such as Bizarro, Batmite, and Prez. Truly, there will be something for everybody as we simultaneously celebrate our rich legacy while embracing new voices and concepts. Now. I guess the the biggest thing is, uh, you know, you're probably wondering, well, what books are coming? Um, specifically dealing with the Batman universe, uh, we don't have any specific solicitations or much information other than some of the, well, other than the titles of the series and the creators that will be attached to them. Um, some of the new ones include a Batman Beyond ongoing series which is rumored to be Tim Drake and not Terry McGinnis. It will be written by Dan Jerkins with art by Bernard Chang. We have uh, Batmite, which is a six-issue limited series written by Dan Jurgens, art by Corin Howell. Black Canary, ongoing, written by Brendan Fletcher, art by Annie Wu and Irene Coe. Justice League of America, written and art by Brian Hitch. Harley Quinn, Power Girl, six-issue limited series written by J- Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, and Justin Gray, with art by Stephen Rowe. Stefan Rowe. Um... Red Hood Arsenal, written by Scott Lobdell, art by Dennis Medry. Robin, Son of Batman, written and art by Patrick Gleason. Starfire, written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, art by Emmanuel Lupicino. I hope I pronounced that right. We Are Robin, written by Lee Bermejo and art by Carrie Randolph. And Midnighter, written by Steve Orlando, art by ACO. So... Uh, we have the, obviously we have this entire list of stuff over on the website, but I guess the biggest thing that I took out of this, which I'm, I'm happy they chose to do was instead of having a bunch of series be announced and say, we're starting these new series, there's certain series that you know for a fact are not going to be high sales numbers. So why, why make them ongoings from the beginning and then only to cancel them a couple months later? Specifically, Arkham Manor, I, I never saw Arkham Manor as a possible ongoing series. I mean, the idea of it was kind of cool, and so far the, the book has been interesting, but it could never actually be an ongoing indefinitely because we all know that eventually things are going to, you know, shift. They're not going to have 
Arkham Asylum in Wayne Manor forever. So there's no reason to say that it is, in fact, going to be an ongoing. Um, another book that re- comes to mind is uh, the Clarion, the Witch Boy book that started the same time back in October. I I don't know who would have ever thought that that book would have ever become a high sales book that would have warranted more than six issues to begin with. So when they have books like Harley Quinn, Power Girl, uh, you know, a, a miniseries, Batmite miniseries, it's smart for them to immediately determine we're just going to do six issues. Just do six issues. Do six really good issues. Release it. Have them come out. If it is really popular, then do another six issue miniseries a couple months later or something like that. Don't sit there and tell fans we're going to have these ongoings. Have fans get invested into them only for them not to become, you know, really great books. So I like the idea of them doing, and that's not, and those aren't the only two. There was, there's other ones that aren't related to the Batman universe that are also six issue miniseries, but I think it's really smart for them to do that because it puts an immediate expiration date in, and I say that and it's probably coming across the wrong way, but it, it, it gives you a little bit less of a commitment. You know, those of you who are very scared of commitment in general, wherever, whenever it, whatever it comes to, it doesn't, make you have to commit long-term to something when you know for a fact immediately it's only going to be six issues. So I'm really thrilled about that. But some of the other series in general, we'll talk about those in a second. Any thoughts on just the announcement before we talk about some of these series? I actually prefer or issue many series as well. Um, and I, I would like to see a whole lot more of this. To be honest with you. Like, if you're going to do, if you don't want to give Tim Drake ongoing book, do a Tim Drake six mini a year or two. You know, I think that this is way underutilized. I think it sets up great for trade. It's trans- a trade. Um, I, I think it makes so much sense that we just won't see that much of it. Um, which are, I do think of the four o'clock and everything was funny. I, Dustin, you're giving them way too much credit. After last episode, when we talked about the fact that multiversity and convergence was an accident, um, I think they probably just accidentally sent, sent after like an all night vendor at four o'clock in the morning. So. I don't think you should give them quite that much credit for thinking it out. But before yeah, you get yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah. They, they, last time, well, but they'll be honest because last time when we gave them too much credit, they came out and said, we don't deserve it. That's true. So, um, but no, I, I, limited issue stuff is good. And, and we had, remember we had that Damien one last year? Yep. And, and the 666 future. Yep. There's a lot of them that are really cool. And, and with the smaller runs, it lets them play with concepts and characters like, like the Clarion's a good example. Like, you can't sell me as an ongoing, but maybe a six issue limited. Um, I really do wish we'd see a whole lot more of this. Cause honestly, in the, at the rate that they cancel books, it seems like it would be a, like a no brainer, honestly, because they're literally canceling books every six months. So why not just have some books that are only six issues? Plus, I think it just comes with like the creators and they're, they're pushing forward. Like I've got this great idea for an ongoing and they're not coming and saying, I've got this great idea for a mini. Well, the thing is, it's the editor's job, honestly, to tell them, you know, it is a great idea, but do you honestly, can you honestly say that you have more than six issues planned? I also saw something, uh, there was a bunch of, there's a bunch of creator changes on a bunch of the ongoing titles that are not being canceled. Uh, specifically with the artists and one of the artists, uh, currently Catwoman is being drawn by Gary Brown and he said that he, the reason why he's not coming back to do Catwoman is because 
they only contracted him for six issues. And then I saw some other comments from some other uh, artists that were also said the exact same thing. So if DC is only contracting artists for six issues to give them, you know, a chance to shine, and then they're automatically going to jump to the next artist, then in, by all means, then then they're already setting themselves up for the six issue limited stuff. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with what Ed is saying. I think it's just an opportunity to try out series that would not make the, the long push and perhaps really original series and uh, maybe characters that we've not seen since the new 52 started. I would love to see some characters that we've been missing. We're talking about some of these series that were announced. I guess some of the ones that immediately jump out at me that I'm looking forward to is honestly, I, you know, I don't know how it's going to be written because it'll be written by Dan Jurgens and he doesn't come across as somebody I would associate with this character. But Batmite, I think, could be really interesting just to see what they could come up with. I would actually expect that to be written by somebody like Charlie Fish or something like that. Um, just because it is such an off the wall character and Dan Jurgens doesn't immediately pop out at me as a, you know, a writer who can write crazy off the wall stuff. Um, some of the other ones, in some ways, I'm glad they're ending Red Hood and the Outlaws, but the fact that Scott Lobdell is still writing the book with the Red Hood Arsenal, uh, you know, series, I, I just wish they would go in a different direction. You know, the fact that they're ending it because Starfire is going to go off her own series, great. The fact that Scott Lobdell is still writing Red Hood and Arsenal, I'm not super thrilled about. Um, Robin, Son of Batman, you know, it's it's a book that's focused on Damien. Um, the fact that it's going to be written by Patrick Gleason, who's been doing the arts on Batman and Robin since the beginning of the New 52, is interesting. In some ways, it's kind of it's kind of upsetting because Peter Tomasi will not be writing a, a main Bat book. He will be writing the Arkham Knight prequel comic. Um, but he is not writing that. He also made a comment on Twitter that just because something wasn't announced now doesn't mean that he won't be doing something in the Batman universe in the coming months after June. So we'll have to wait and see what that is. The one that I guess I'm, I'm most weirded out, out, uh, weirded <laughs> out about is, uh, we are Robin only because you know, this almost sounds like that idea that we, we had that we were pitching to each other probably eight months ago, late last summer, about, you know, after Eternal, do a book with Harper Rowe and Stephanie Brown and, you know, do a, do a book that's focusing on a lot of these supporting, uh, you know, maybe even Julia Pennyworth, a lot of these supporting characters that are females because we're getting rid of Birds of Prey. So why don't you do a, a book that's focused on that? The fact that we're getting one about We Are a Robin or about the Robins is slightly odd because outside of Damien, who is already going to have his own book, and Tim Drake, who is Red Robin, uh, we know that Red Hood has his own book, so I'm trying to figure out who exactly is going to be in this book, other than possibly Duke Thomas, What's as we've book? seen him being introduced. So I'm trying to understand what this book is going to be about. The way they described it was a very weird description. They said that it was basically... A bunch of, it was, it was like crowdsourcing Robin is the way, like the tagline that they used to describe it, which I find really strange. Now, don't get me wrong, Lieber Mayho, he's written stuff for Batman in the past, specifically Batman Noel. He's more known for his art. He did the, uh, Batman Joker, uh, graphic novel years ago, but the, the, I'm okay with him writing it. I guess I'm just worried about 
the direction of whatever the heck they're planning. I don't want Duke Thomas to have his own book. Now, if this book isn't necessarily about we, you know, Robin and it's just about the sidekicks of Batman, that makes more sense because there's plenty of them. I mean, then you could focus on Batwing, you could focus on Stephanie Brown and Harper Rowe and Julia Pennyworth. You could focus on a lot of these other characters that aren't going to get their own series right now. But I guess, I guess just the way they described it just didn't come across as thrilling. Well, okay, so the, these new books that are coming up, um, I, I'm assuming that We Are Robin is a Tomasi, is, is a, uh, is a Duke Thomas book. Um, I, I have no reason to think anything else, but I also wouldn't be surprised if I was totally, totally wrong because we don't have a solicitation on it. So that one alone is the most interesting to me of where it's going. Um, I'm very happy for the Batman Beyond book. Would be even more happy if it's got Tim Drake in it because at this point, any book I can get a Tim Drake book would make me happy. Um, I am sad that we're losing Tomasi overall, but my biggest concern is with the, with the title being Robin, son of, son of Batman. Are we going to lose a book where Batman and Robin are working together? And is this going to end up just a Damien solo book? And we know Snyder won't use, use Damien and we don't really see him detective. So I just don't want this to be the end of, of stories with Damien and Bruce together, which I'm afraid is, is what could be happening. That's my only real concern. Yeah. And consistently, that's been one of my favorite Batman books to be reading, uh, besides detective comics, because you do have this wonderful relationship between Batman and Robin and, uh, yeah, it's a heartbreak to his Tomasi, frankly, and, and to see that his name was not attached to Son of Batman, which I think that would have made that title um, more palatable, just the thought that, okay, well, it's without Batman, but we do still have Tomasi. It'll be interesting to see if he's with or without powers, and just is it a really solo book, or is he going to be working with other people? I don't honestly know why anyone would want to read a Starfire ongoing. That's an ongoing, right? It's an ongoing, but it is yeah. written by the same people who, are made, who have made Harley Quinn super successful. Yeah, so I guess it's possible, but um, she and Harley Quinn seem like two different people to me. It's not like she's going to be having fun with that dead woodchuck. Well, did, um, did, you, did you see the image of Starfire, though, Stella? They the, completely the cover? desexualized yeah, they've, her. They've completely rebooted her character now. She's totally yeah. different. Yeah. That could be great. But it's funny that we, we take Red Hood and the Outlaws, we have one book and then we basically cut it and now we have two books. I, um, the Robins one is a bit of a mystery to me. I mean, what if they did honestly have like all of these random people? I mean, what about Carrie Kelly? We haven't seen her in a while. Does she pop up again? Who knows? I mean, there are so many people. I was looking at the image trying to figure out who could possibly be who. Frankly, I'm super interested slash really wondering about, uh, Dinah, that, that book and, um, wondering if Dinah Lance can be a character that's not like Dazzler from the X-Men because that's what it seems like right now. But just her and a band floored me. So that's the one I'm most interested in seeing. And of course, it's written by Brendan Fletcher, who's already on Batgirl, already on Gotham Academy. So there's trust there. But I think it's just something that I would never have thought about. Now, I, you know, as we were talking about this, it kind of was glancing over some of the other things. Now, Bleeding Cool posted up an article that was talking about could We Are Robins spin out of the Detective Comics 
Endgame number one uh, uh, issue that's coming out at the end of April, because the solicitation reads, The city is overrun by Jokerized victims, but a small band of teenagers unites to take a stand. Their secret knowledge of Gotham City streets helps helps them survive, but will Batman take help from this young group of upstarts? And what could it mean for the future of the young heroes in Gotham City? So, knowing that they specifically said crowdsourcing Batman sidekicks as the tagline for We Are Robins, and it actually makes a lot of sense that it could spin out of uh, this Endgame solicit, or this Endgame issue that's coming out at the end of April. Uh, some of the other things that, uh, there was an interesting take uh, on Bleeding Cool, they talked, well, in the press release itself, Dan DiDio did say that the this new era of storytelling means that story will trump continuity. Which, of course, when I read that, I thought to myself, <laughs> God, I'm going to have the worst nightmares of my life. But what, what that means is that they're not necessarily, they're not going to necessarily be held to specifics of continuity like they have been for so long, which means they will have no problem rebooting characters outright if they have a new story come along that they feel deserves it, you know, deserves a, a shift in the tone. So by all means, I guess, you know, if you look at a book like Catwoman, how I, I really did not like Catwoman at all, and then they completely shifted that book to a completely different tone. Same thing goes for Batgirl. You know, they shifted the tone of the book to something completely different. Didn't necessarily reboot it, but shifted it to a completely different direction than what was currently happening. By all means, go right ahead and do it. Because if that's what it takes to have books that you really want to be good, be good, but just do it. Just go ahead and do it. I agree, by the way. Now, I would, I hope this doesn't become a continuity divorce. So I hope things still make sense on some True. general, le- on yes. some general level. Um, but if, if you're telling me that we've made a few mistakes, especially since the new 52 reboot and you need to just clean it up a little bit, I'm all right with it. All right. So with that, that's all the news. Obviously, if you want, you can check out the full list of titles that are coming in June. Like I said, there's, there's, the only books that are being canceled within the Batman universe is Batman and Robin, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and Earth 2. Those are the only ones that are canceled outside of what we already knew was being canceled as of April, which there was already a big group of those. But full list of books over on the website. We're not going to see full solicitations for June until probably, I think it's like March. Uh, nope, I think it's, yeah, it'd be March. It'd be March is when we'd see full solicitations for June. So... Don't expect, you know, anything, you know, any secrets to be revealed before that. But the whole idea of convergence shifting everything and everything being different, it has nothing to do necessarily with continuity and bringing back certain characters. It has to do with just a tonal change for the universe. That's convergence for you. So if you are expecting convergence to be a massive event that's going to change everything, you just got your all your hopes and dreams just dashed. So why bother even buying it? Why are they even buying it? Because DC you to buy it. Yeah, I guess. In my mind, it just comes across as I, I understand that DC is doing this thing where, you know, they're announcing stuff, you know, five months in advance or four months in advance of, you know, the big things that are happening. They've, they've done this in the past. Um, they're not just waiting till right before the solicitations release. So I get it. But at the same time, doesn't it kind of take some steam out of a two month event that you've got planned if, the event's going to happen, and literally all that it is is just a 
you know, place filler for well, the yeah. two months that they're moving, which is all it is now. Because now that we know what's coming in June, there's no reason you need to even read Convergence other than just to, you know, read an event. It's the month of the one shots, right? Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. And it's, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of interest. I mean, I'll be interested to read some of the stories because I kind of always like the Elseworlds type take on stuff. Yes. But it's not going to affect the universe at all. I kind of wonder why why they're even doing it, but that's why they get paid the big bucks. And, like, yeah. the event itself is eight issues? Yeah, I can't remember if it's yeah, eight or nine. It's, I think so it's is nine. it, is it pretty much like Forever zero. Evil, where, like, the the special books only last for one or two months, but the, the, the whole event is going on in the background? Well, the whole event's happening in the background. It starts on April 1st and goes to the last Wednesday of May, which it starts with a zero issue on the 1st of April and then eight issues after that. So nine complete issues. The, the, the series that are connected to it only have two issues apiece. That's it. And we knew that up front. So the, there is like, mm-hmm. there's not really any surprises here at all. And now that we know what's coming after June, there is literally nothing that Makes me believe that this event means anything. Well, did you did you did see this? And I don't know if this is really news worthy, but in each convergence issue, uh, there is going to be an eight ish eight sto- eight page preview of one of the new titles. So in the first month, we, they will have an eight issue preview of We Are Robin and Robin Son of Batman and all that. Each title is going to link to to another one. Um, so that'll be nice. Well. It- the, okay, link. Link is kind of a loose yeah, word. Yeah, there. Link, oh gosh, yeah, you're right. That's because saying like right. Batman Shadow of the Bat's going to have. Yeah, I mean, basically, that like Batman Shadow of the Bat is going to have an eight-page preview of you know, I don't know. Let's just, say, let's just say it was Gotham by Midnight for whatever reason. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're all like, okay, if the. I guess I guess this would probably only apply to the new series that are launching in June, not existing series because it makes no sense for them to hype that up. Plus there's not 49 different issues that are coming out every month True. during, during, during convergence. So that being said, it, it makes me think that, okay. I mean, like in the last two weeks we had, there was a preview in the back of all the, the books for Lieber Mayho's new Vertigo series. I think it's called yep. the Suiciders. Yeah. And like, it looks cool. Don't get me wrong, but, they, they've done this before. They've done this multiple times. It's just, you know, it's like, well, the books that you'll be getting will be slightly bigger because they'll have these extra pages from the upcoming titles are coming in June, but that doesn't, that does not make me want to shell out, you know, $3 for a book that means nothing just so I can read a preview. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to, I don't want to bash Convergence any more than I already have. <laughs> so you should right. write a follow-up on it. Yeah. I've never been excited for it, ever. I mean, like, I like the idea of seeing some of the characters, but knowing that it means nothing and that it's literally just fan service for the people who've been asking for certain characters, it kind of pisses me off, and I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, so let's get into our books. We've, the first book we've got is Detective Comics. It took my last bit of strength to get us out. So you went in because of Batman. I told you they were late. Were you trying to beat them out of the collar or beat them to the cash? Detective Comics number 39, Manipool and Buccioletto Storytellers. Uh, this story opens up with Batman in the back seat of Harvey Bullock's car and Harvey telling him what happened after the shooting uh, that we saw at the end of the last issue and the fact that his partner had to face internal affairs on the matter. 
Uh, we see that Lonnie is in bad condition, but it looks like that he will survive. We see several cuts of Gotham being torn apart by mobs of people wearing the anarchy mask. Uh, we see Bruce Wayne visit Lonnie in the hospital before returning to the cave and pondering on the mystery at hand. Alfred does mention that Batgirl may have someone in mind that can restore all the data that has gone missing, but before the conversation can go any further, Batman takes off on a motorcycle into the night, and we didn't see Harvey on the roof with Yip, uh, his partner, who he reassures that if the police want to blame Batman for the shooting, then uh, she won't have to worry that he'll be the one that spills the bean. He was a witness and knows that Batman didn't shoot him, obviously. Uh, back in the, we now cut back to the car, and uh, Bullock asks Batman if he thinks he is dirty, to which Batman answers, you're dirty enough to get the job done. Uh, they are then ar- arriving at something called uh, the Blue House. Uh, the Blue House is this place where Batman believes all the clues have been leading them. Um, Batman tells Bullock that he believes that this is personal between Anarchy and the Mad Hatter. Uh, we then see the Mad Hatter in his cell kind of... Um, doing his crazy man act, dancing around with his pillow, and imagining it's Alice. Um, the wall to his cell has been broken down, and Anarchy comes in and uh, abducts him. Uh, back at the Blue House, uh, Batman and Bullock start an assault from above to find some answers to what's going on here. Um, Bullock is, is quickly stabbed, and Batman is swarmed with, with, with people, it looks like teenagers, wearing Anarchy masks. Um, as the fight draws to a close, we see Bullock, Bullock draw Batman's attention to a painting or a photograph on the wall, that has the faces of all the dead children and uh, and Lester in them, like a family portrait type deal. Uh, we then cut to Anarchy pulling the Mad Hatter from the trunk and asking him if he is ready to die. I just got two questions here. None of them are, are too, too pressing, but two things I found interesting is, uh, one is Bullock seems to have, uh, have no problem kind of setting up Batman for this murder charge, or at the very least not saying anything about it. Is this Is this a little too far for Bullock? I think he's uneasy about it. I don't think he's, he's readily agreeing to, um, either way. I mean, he told his partner, you know, I, I'm, I'm no snitch basically, but I think he's almost caught between a rock and a hard place because he knows what's right and wrong. But I think in the past we had seen in this particular arc, we saw that he, was really getting along with his partner and per- perhaps had feelings for her. So perhaps this is like a, a weird switch and he's very much caught off guard that she's willing to go along with it. And so what else can he do? But um, for right now, yeah, if, if he does end up going along with whatever falls, I think it would be too much for him because, I mean, he isn't the cleanest type of cop, but, but I think he does like to keep law and order and he's not, um, well, this this new 52 Jason Bard certainly uh but he does hate batman but i think if the chips fall i i'm really hoping that they decide to to keep him on the right side of the of the road and and perhaps let his partner fall somehow so maybe she's able to or she falls without any testimony for book so he doesn't get his uh himself into trouble I think the the biggest thing to take away from this is the fact that, like Stella said, you know, he says he's not a rat, he's not going to snitch, and that he also said that he is he's a company man, he'll toe the line. And the thing is, in my mind, I'm th- thinking like we again, we don't know exactly when this is taking place in the you know overall continuity of the Batman universe right now, because we know that we just saw Mad Hatter a couple issues ago get taken down in Eternal, and then we've got 
you know, this, that we don't have Gordon anywhere to be seen in what's going on. So we know that if Gordon was around during this time, we wouldn't be seeing Batman getting blamed for something. But the thing is, like, the way, the way Bullock explains it, you know, Gotham is completely uneasy if they found out that somebody, you know, that a cop shot an unarmed person, it would be even worse than it already is. Honestly, I think Batman's fine to just go along with it because that's what he is. He's there to take the blunt of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, the, the people there who saw it are going to know that it wasn't Batman who shot the kid. So there's no reason for Batman. Like, Batman doesn't care about taking the blame for something that he didn't necessarily do, in my opinion. I, feel, I just feel like that's who he's there. He's there, he's there to, for, to serve the gr- greater purpose of you know, the ultimate plan, which is to keep the city safe. And if that's for Batman to take the blame so the cops aren't, you know, getting, having riots and protests in front of their stations and preventing them from being able to do their job, then by all means, he'll take the rap. Yeah, I, um, I'm kind of with Stella on this one. I, I, I think that if, if Harvey will flat out help Batman get set up for murder, then I, I think that's probably a step too far for, for his character. Um, I, I know he's, even as he's described in here as Batman and him kind of have this moment in the car where he says, you know, Batman tells me he thinks he's dirty enough to get the job done. I know that Harvey's never been the lily white detective. He's not, he's not Jim Gordon on the hill. Uh, but I think him going this far is a, is a little too far. Um, nah, it's, it's very interesting, by the way. It's not that I, I, I dislike the material or the way it's being presented. It's very interesting, but I just hope he doesn't go quite that far. Um, cause, Bullock's always been wrote as a, at, at his core being a, being a good person. So I would like to have it not go that far. The other And we're certainly really- switching because, oh, I just wanted to say that oh, at the beginning ahead. of this, at the beginning of this arc, well, with this new creative team, we were, I remember one of your questions being, you know, what can we see, uh, changing with this Bullock Batman relationship? And we thought that there was almost a potential of them having some sort of tacit agreement and, and working together. But now we're like back to them being, I just despising each other. And so, but are we really, but that's because that's the thing, like the whole Bullock defending, you know, uh, you know, going and going along with Batman was the one who shot the person that all happened at the beginning of the issue. When we get to the end of the issue, they're working side by side. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they're working side by side because they feel like they have to. Gordon is gone in this time frame. I'm not 100% sure where this happens at either, but I think Bullock and, and Batman are, working together because they feel like they need to, but I don't, I don't think that they're getting along at all. I don't know. I don't know. I I think we'll have to wait to see the next issue because the whole last situation with Bullock, you know, and Batman fighting off all these people in that house, it came across as, you know, they're not just working together because they have to, they're working together because they, they know that working together is the only way to actually solve the problem. Uh Yeah, that that could be it too. And and I think next issue will add a, a lot of light on, um, and then, and the next thing about anarchy is we see this kind of turn into what is presented here that, you know, anarchy is out for revenge on the Mad Hatter and it looks like he's killed these children that are, are probably anarchy's probably one of them, maybe a member of the family or a member of this group home or, or however that's going to work out. And, and that really isn't what I want to address here is do you think having anarchy as a villain where he's, really looking like everything else was just a plot to distract the world while he 
kills the Mad Hatter. Is that something that is, is, is anarchy to you or, or do you think that this would be better reserved for a different character or maybe an original character as opposed to using a character like anarchy for like a straight revenge killing? I don't like the idea of it being a straight revenge killing or him doing everything he did just to basically distract everybody. I don't like that at all. The fact that it, it, in some ways it kind of takes the character, like everything that they've set this character up to be, you know, the fact that he wants to wipe everybody's slates clean, he wants to give them all these masks, let people decide their new future because they have a clean slate. It makes everything that he's done kind of like pointless to a degree because his main goal was to get to the Mad Hatter so that he could kill him. And to me, that just doesn't come across as that interesting. We know the Mad Hatter is probably not going to die just because of the fact that he's not like a, he's not, you know, he's an, he is an established character. So we don't, you know, I don't feel like he's going to die, but at the same time, I feel like the, this idea, like, don't get me wrong. The connection, like anarchy, having a connection to Med Hatter, I think it's kind of interesting, mostly because the way they're writing anarchy, it's a, it is a new version of the character. Mad Hatter is an established character, even if he's not the best Batman villain, he is an established character. So having them have some sort of connection makes it a little bit more interesting. But I feel like if it comes down to it and Batman just stops anarchy from killing Mad Hatter and that's the end of the story, I don't really feel like we're getting that, uh, like a decent payoff from the, you know, them reinventing this character. I haven't we seen this before though, where a bad guy has like multiple levels to what he's doing. And I feel like we've even seen it with Hush most recently in, uh, Eternal, just where there may be this huge goal that he's looking at or this, I don't know, this wide focus lens on what he's looking at. But then there's a pinpoint of, you know, something that his main goal is. Um, I don't know if that made sense at all. But if the, the pinpoint is, you know, getting to Mad Hatter, I mean, with everything else that he did, while it doesn't really connect in my mind, like Mad Hatter with all this stuff, he is, I think, very much the anarchy that we have seen in the past with everything else he did besides this, uh, this Mad Hatter business. And I mean, because he is New 52, uh, anarchy, I feel like there's some leeway that we can give him to, to do something different. I think it comes down to next issue and, and how his relationship to Mad Hatter is really explained. Because, I mean, the entire arc, I don't know if it was just you or me, but I really didn't see how Mad Hatter and these, these, uh, dead children connected to anarchy anyways. So I'm glad that there is a connection. Yeah, um, I don't mind the, I kind of like the connection with Anarchy and Mad Hatter. I just, it just doesn't feel like, um, a revenge story is, is an anarchy story, really. I mean, he, characters work on a lot of different levels still. I, I totally agree with that. But I think that with Anarchy, the kind of the core of his character is well, Anarchy. Um, I think that I really like this story, but I think I maybe liked it better if it had been someone besides Anarchy. Now, what I think you, where I think this could be going is the Anarchy we're presented with here dying and maybe Lonnie, known as the Money Spider or as Anarchy from the pre-New 52, um, maybe he'll become the Anarchy Anarchy we know. And if, and if this is essentially setting up a better Anarchy, 
then I, I think this could be a truly cool introductory story. Uh, I on, agree, on that and level. that could actually be a really that could be a really smart way of doing it too. Because if if the public's perception is that Batman's the one who went who who shot or you know hurt Lonnie, and Lonnie wakes up from the hospital, and this is what he's been being told is that it's Batman. It sets up him to go back to being you know a bad guy. Yeah, and, and would be a very say that the, this anarchy we're seeing here dies, and somehow Lonnie knows he's dead. Him taking over as anarchy and becoming the more closer to the anarchy that we know. Yeah, uh, well, I think could be really cool. You know, I, 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 I agree. I think that could be a truly cool way of of totally deking us out and introducing the character. Um, so I'm I'm holding out for it, and I'm hoping that's where it goes. But it, it is weird to see us with anarchy. I mean, trying to kill the Mad Hatter for revenge. It's not something you typically. Tippy would think of, um, but uh, that's really all I had for the story. Uh, Detective Comics number thirty-nine. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings, and I got to say the the art is amazing. There was a couple really cool pages, and the cover was am- like fantastic. I'm actually going to give it four out of five, just and also weighing in what Dustin said, just because the art from this team has been amazing since they took over the book, um, and I really like the story a lot. So I will give it four out of five. I'm going to give it a three out of five, and yes, I thought I was going to be the only person who added that, you know, just the the art is awesome, but three people saying it means that it is awesome. All right, and over on the website, Joseph gave it four, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 39 a total of three and a half out of five bed ranks. Let's move into our next book, I'm an Eternal. Batman Eternal number 44, script by Ray Fox, art by ACO. The issue starts off at GCPD, where we see a number of uh, the Arkham people locked up, including Ten-Eyed Man, Maxi Zeus, and Magpie, and they're all trying to figure out who is behind the Arkham, and they all point to Professor Milo. Yes, Professor Milo, that chemistry teacher from Gotham Academy. Yes! So, as it turns out, uh, they set out an APB on him, Batman searching for him. We see that, uh, we see elsewhere... Luke Fox is putting nth metal into his suit to make sure that he can take out these ghosts that are haunting him in his apartment. Uh, on the other side of town, at the Narrows, we see Harper Rowe talking to Stephanie. Stephanie saying, listen, I gotta leave here. You know, you all work for, you know, you all essentially work for Bruce Wayne. You and the, and Batman and all of his allies, they're all part of Bruce Wayne's horrible plans, so I can't trust any of you. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna tell everybody about it. And Harper's like, nope, that's not happening. They get into a fight. Harper threatens to taser her. Instead, we then cut to the airport where Professor Milo is trying to board a plane. Doesn't work out. He escapes out onto the runway. Batman chases him down. Um, in the process of all this happening, we see uh, the Bat plane uh, emerge and say, don't move. Uh, we will. You, you need to surrender or be neutralized. Um, we see this. Really interesting technology that I don't think we've seen before, which is the bat plane scans Milo, determines exactly what things he has in his pockets and on his person that could be harmful to somebody, and immediately locks on to them as Batman says uh, he commands it to disarm, and then it neutralizes all of these things somehow. Uh, I don't know if it's shooting like rubber bullets at all of these various things that are in his pockets, but it disables all of these things he could use. He's not really happy about it, but he doesn't have any choices. Uh, then all of a sudden, the issue ends with these 
ghost demon-like things coming <laughs> after Batman. Next up, the truth. All right, so this issue was pretty quick. Um, I mean, honestly, I kind of already talked. I, I talked about the highlight of this issue for me, which was that bat playing tech. I thought that was really cool. Um, but uh, I guess the question that I have is: this is in some ways wrapping up the Arkham story, which. I guess the question that I have is, do you feel like it needed to be wrapped up at all? Or do you feel like this issue was necessary? Because we're kind of jumping from, we're, you know, we're slowly wrapping up these, you know, these, these small little plot points that have been going on since the beginning of the series. And I'm wondering if you guys felt like, one, Milo would be somebody that whoever the big bad is would include him into this massive plan. Or do you feel like, you know, this, this was kind of just an issue in, in the next issue, two issues that were kind of throwaway to wrap something up. I mean, I think you had to wrap it up at some point. I, I think that you couldn't just leave it hanging out there. And, and I'm sure that as much as this hasn't been the highlight real story for us in Batman Eternal, I'm sure that there is some people, probably fans of Fox or, or more of the supernatural side of, of, of comic books that, this has been one of their favorite plot lines. So I think it would be unfair to someone who's enjoying this for it not to get wrapped up in some way, shape, or form. This did feel very anticlimactic to me as far as wrapping up the storyline, though. Um, it, it it felt like they were just trying to wrap up the storyline and move on. Um, and I don't know if they did it extremely effectively here or not. Uh, it satisfied me enough, but I can certainly see where if this was – one of the sub- subplots you were more interested in, you could feel like you just got short. Um, I think my main problem was when I started reading this, I was trying to remember back to oh, when probably. I last read this particular arc. And honestly, I, didn't, I did it's go back. I know. I did go back to uh, 43 and I thought, that's right, that's right. This it, Because I thought, oh man, am I so forgetful that, you know, I, I can't even remember the previous week. But I, I was right in my thinking that it had nothing to do with this. So if you're going to wrap something up, especially this, and have, it seems like such a thin thread to have to wrap up. I think they should have done it a little earlier when it actually connected back to that because it's been a while since the ghost started attacking Luke and his roommate. I remember that. Um, this, I did not like this issue. Uh, I liked the second one better. I thought, I think we could have gotten rid of this issue altogether and 45 could have served the entire purpose of wrapping it up if in fact that is what we have done. I just, I couldn't remember back. I think that was my main problem. When I saw the words Professor Milo, number one, I was like, what in the heck? Why are we bringing yet another character in when we're like eight issues out from the end? And number two, why in the heck is this guy in Gotham Academy and you're now bringing him over to uh, Eternal? And I guess that answers the question about continuity that, they're running at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I did not, I didn't really like it. I think that the tech was the, the best part, but really I could have shelved this entire issue just on 45, which I think did a better job of going back to the ghost part. And then obviously Milo was just, uh, an agent. He was just like a midway basically to get to the, to the next issue. So I didn't really see what the point was. And I just really want DC to get to little synopsis pages now like Marvel does at the beginning where it says, last time, just so I can remember for this particular storyline, since it is like 
few and far between that we see this stuff happening. I mean, yeah. all, all getting aside, what was the last issue this stuff was in? Really? I, I want to say the last time we saw Luke Fox was 37 or 38. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean But I, even then it was only like two pages and it was kind of like mismatched mismatched in the actual issue where it didn't really make sense of why all of a sudden it was popping up. And then I guess you could also consider the fact that Corrigan pulled Maxi Zeus out of the sewer pipe that one time, which I think was like forty or forty one, but even then that's it had nothing to do with the actual, you know, ghost demon things. Yeah, it, it just Yeah. Yeah, this whole issue was just bizarre. I mean, I get why you gotta wrap it up, but yeah, and, I, and I'll say this, okay, I understand that you have to wrap it up, and, and, and I've already said multiple times that I'm not a huge fan of the supernatural part of this, even though I am enjoying Gotham by Midnight because it's uh-huh. just dealing with that. My problem, I think, is most, and this has happened almost every time with this specific storyline, every time we get to the point where we're focusing on this storyline, like Stella said, it is spread out way, way, way too far from the last issues. And the other thing is, the timing of it doesn't make a lot of sense. We currently, right now, Batman is, you know, going after Milo. Of all people, he's going after Milo. Even though it it was like four or five or uh, two or three issues ago, we had all of Batman's villains get released from police custody after he was involved in their capture. And they now have all this tech and they're running rampant across Gotham City. We haven't dealt with that yet. We haven't dealt with the fact that uh, when Batman came back from talking with the Riddler, nothing was actually solved with him. Where is the Riddler? We saw the Batwing flying over Gotham City, and then miraculously Batman shows up at the end of the Harper Row Red Robin storyline with Mad Hatter just to say, we've got to talk. And then that's it. Like The timing of this stuff just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like we're getting to the point where a lot of the stuff that felt like it was joined together at the beginning is starting to, you know, we're starting, well, it's not starting because we've been seeing it for a, a while now, probably since like 32, since the end of the Hush storyline. We're starting to see a lot of these things like break off and they're, they're, the, the placement of them don't, doesn't make a lot of sense because the flow of the story isn't flowing as well as it should be, even though we're getting to the end. You know, the fact that, like, like Stella said, we're eight, nine issues out and we are literally focused, we're focusing on a new character. We'll f- see in 45 that we're bringing in yet another character. So the thing is, like, it feels like they had a really strong beginning. The middle was, it was all right. But then this getting towards the end, it feels like they're scurrying to, to wrap some of this stuff up. But the fact that they're scurrying and we have an entire issue dedicated to a nobody makes no sense. So with that, Batman Eternal number 44, I'm going to give this one two out of five batterings. 2.5. Dustin did have a, a positive uh, remark to say, people. And I will also say that I liked the nth metal use because I do like hawk people. I'm going to give this a 2.5 out of five. All right, and over on the website, Ryan gave it two and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 44 a total of two and a half out of five. Battering, let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 45, script by Ray Fox, art by Javi Fernandez. Uh, the issue starts off right where 44 left off, where the demons are attacking Batman, including who? Martin Ware 
Who's that, might you ask? That weird character that randomly popped up in the beginning of this story, Mr. Bygone. Um, not sure why all of a sudden he got brought out, but hey, what the heck, he gets punched out in two panels, and that's the end. <laughs> but Milo is now suffering th- horribly. Uh, his heart is being taken out. The GCPD swarms Bat- and tells Batman, don't touch him, put your hands in the air. Batman insists that he is not going to let anybody die. Meanwhile, now at Luke Fox's apartment, the walls are bleeding. He has now got the nth metal in his thing, and as the demons appear, he is punching holes through the demons and making them disappear. Uh, we then see, uh, back on the runway, Batman use a flashbang, it appears, to get away from the police. Um, in the process, um, we then cut back to uh, Luke Fox, who is making quick work of all these demons now that he's got the nth metal in his gloves. When Jim Corrigan appears and says, hey, maybe I was wrong when I said that you can't just punch a ghost away. Um, they then exchange some, like, apologies on both sides, kind of talking about the fact that uh, Corrigan really can't control the Spectre and he's really sorry about what happened in Arkham. Luke is saying, don't worry about it. The reality is I was there and... I, I needed to, Batman sent me there to learn something, and now I understand that there is these supernatural elements. Uh, the, elsewhere, Batman is now in the Batplane, flying towards an unknown destination, when he calls Corrigan and says, we need to meet, I need you to talk to this crazy lunatic, Milo. <laughs> they meet at the cemetery, where uh, Corrigan takes him up on a hill away from away from uh, Batman and Batwing. Batwing talks to Batman and says, listen, um, Batman says to to Batwing, and I probably should have never sent you to Arkham. And he says, "Don't worry about it. I learned more than I than I would have ever learned if I didn't go." Uh, we then see Corrigan punch out Milo's, and uh, Batman says, "What the heck was that for?" He goes, "He was asking for it. He was trying to he was trying to basically do a verbal summoning right in front of me. He's not. He's he's completely lost it." On the other side of town, we see. Uh, Harper Rowe basically tells Stephanie that she's going to go talk to Batman about getting her out of town. Stephanie tries to pull out a smoke capsule when she, when, when Harper pulls out her, uh, her, I guess, electronic taser gun thing and sets it up on a stand and says, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to try to escape, this thing basically will zap you if you try to go one inch in any direction. In addition to that, if anybody else shows up, it'll also zap you. So I'm going to go talk to Batman, and we're going to get you out, because even though you don't want to believe it, I don't want to see you die. Uh, meanwhile, back at the Batcave, uh, Batman is doing some research with Julia Pennyworth, talking about trying to figure out exactly who's behind all of this still. And uh, after making a comment to Julia about how much she really is like her father, uh, they'd start to figure out... Um, that the companies that, that, that were buying all of Wayne Enterprises, you know, pieces as it was being taken apart, um, they all were pointing back to various demonic stamps and, and words that, you know, that link back to Arab, the Arabic language. And, uh, he says, I, I've got a, I got a long distance trip to take. I've got to go find the person who's behind all of this, who is Ra's al Ghul. Next up is Batman Eternal. Honestly, I'm not even really talk about the, the <laughs> other supernatural story other than it was nice to see Corrigan brought back in to give that some sort of wrap up. I would, now I, I will say this, the fact that they ended it the way they did with, uh, you know, the nth metal being in Batwing, it would be interesting if Corrigan, when he was dealing with the supernatural stuff, 
in Gotham by Midnight, Batwing was a character that was brought in yeah. as Batman's agent. It would be a smart thing to do, especially if, you know, Batwing doesn't have his own book anymore. It no. would be very smart for them to do that. So just just throwing that out there. And I think it was much the- better. This story was much better than the other one in 44. I, I, yeah, I agree. All right, so with that, the only other large thing that happened in this issue, in my opinion, was the, I don't even really need things, honestly, two issues of Harper and Stephanie going back and forth about how Bruce Wayne's the bad guy or the good guy, not really relevant. The fact that Harper somehow has befriended her, befriended Steph without really, you know, other than the fact that she just despises her and for whatever reason that makes Harper really like her and want to save her, that put aside... Not a whole lot happened with those. The big reveal, obviously, was the fact that Ra's al Ghul is behind, you know, buying up a lot of Wayne Enterprises when it was being dismantled and leaving a stamp on it. Now, my thought on this was not so much that Ra's is the big bad behind everything, but that Ra's was kind of assisting Batman indirectly by buying up Wayne Enterprises so that Wayne Enterprises wasn't going just to any anybody. And I, I know that's going to sound weird because Roz really, I mean, for the most part, he's not really presented as, you know, an ally to Batman most of the time. And if you've, you know, if since we've, the last time we saw him was in Batman Robin when he was basically trying to steal the bodies of Damien and Talia from Bruce, eh, probably not the t- guy who's going to help him out of a sticky situation. But I feel like the fact that he left his stamp is 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 his way of saying, like, I'm doing this because, you know, I know that, you know, this is it. I don't feel like he's the big bad. I don't, feel like, especially reading this, I don't feel like he might, he might be somehow indirectly related to this supernatural and magical stuff that happened. But I don't feel like he is, he was the one who gave him Milo the book. Roz would not go to an idiot chemistry teacher from Gotham Academy and say, wreak havoc on, on Arkham Asylum. I just, Roz is a little smarter than that. Well, I think that you're probably right, by the way, about, about Roz and his, his deal here. I think that, you know, at some point in the next issue, we'll get the almost mandatory, hey, I got this postcard, you know, like it said, I could come to Gotham and, you oh know. God! If if Roz got a postcard, that's going to be horrible. Honestly, yeah. in my the, opinion. Yeah, but you know it's going to happen. Like it'll be. Oh God! It'll be. Like, I don't want it to happen. Well, I really don't because but it's the thing happen. with him get, with him getting a postcard or you know the the invitation. The thing about that is that means whoever it is, Roz would literally have to be sitting there saying that whoever the big bad ends up being, if it ends up being Lincoln March, if it ends up being the Court of Owls, that means that he was considering. Or even if he wasn't considering, he just got the postcard and he was like Riddler and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. That means that Roz would be underneath whoever this other person would be. So to, for Roz to even like think about it and sit there and be like, yes, that's a presentable foe. I'm going to, you know, help him out and do this. See, but I, I think this actually could play into what you were just talking about with, with him buying Wayne Enterprises, right? I could see Roz being like, hey, some, some turbo freaking invited me like I was his manservant, so I decided to bail your ass out and buy Wayne Enterprises for you. You know, yeah, like, yeah, that, that's true. You know, I, I could see something like that, like, you know, who does this guy think he is telling me what type deal? Um but I, I'm with you. I don't I don't think he is the, the guy behind the scenes. He's not the big bad. It just and I've seen a lot of speculation on the you know, 
the Google box this week that it, he might be the guy behind the whole thing. But I just that to me doesn't even besides what you brought up with the covers earlier in the cast. I mean, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't think he's 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 the big bad at all. Um, which is just like there. It, to me, this just feels like you're they just can't stop dragging us along. You know, I mean, it, uh, it really does feel like that because uh, how many how many of these last. Ten issues have we seen them bring up somebody different, then focus on the character for a couple issues, and then it be revealed in those issues that it's not that person. Riddler, Riddler was really the first one after Hush. Yeah, but Hush was supposed to be it. Then Riddler was supposed to be it. Now Ray's is out there. I mean, it, maybe it seems like they're just drawing names out of a hat at this point. You know, like Milo. Why is he even in these two issues? I mean. It's great when Corgan knocks him out, and I like Corgan as a character, and I think I, Gotham, I think Gotham by Midnight's cool, and I like Corgan a lot, so I, I don't mind having his inclusion here, but this just to me feels like we have a list of names. Like, okay, we're going to make it look like Hush, Riddler, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I'm starting to have a little fatigue set in from dun, 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 dun. It's, well, because it's know. coming across as they're repeating the same gimmick over and over times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and no, it really does. It feels like... um and my my biggest problem I have with this is that there is a better than zero possibility that when we are finally revealed with the actual person behind it, I won't believe it until it's over. You know, sure. Yeah. It, I mean, right now, if, if they if they wheeled out insert name a villain here, you'd be like, okay, two issues with this guy, right? We got six left, so it's not him. You know, um, and I don't. And again, I don't mind seeing Roz in the book. I enjoy the character. I think that it makes a lot of sense that he would have bought up Wayne Enterprises. But I don't know. I just I, I'm really starting to feel like I just want the story to move forward. Don't get too tired yet. We have yet to see Killer Moth, you know, come on board. So Killer Moth behind the whole thing. I'll eat this chair. I would <laughs> that'd be amazing. They've laughed at me for years, but finally <laughs> that would be great. Um Yes. I mean, they're bringing out a huge character in the 11th hour, and I think that's my problem is because anytime you have the demon's head introduced, he needs his, he needs time and page count that is worth his character. And I'm afraid now with where we are, he's not really going to get that. I certainly, I can see him <clears throat> Helping, I guess, in quotation marks, Batman, very much in, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, where whoever that enemy of Batman is, he's going to end up siding with Batman somewhat. But I also feel like he's not just going to hand over all of the holdings he has now. I think this is also a way for him to uh, get his foot into Gotham and perhaps use that for nefarious purposes in the future. So who knows if the next Batman Eternal storyline uh, deals with um, you know, that, that other weekly series that we're about to do, um, <laughs> deals with Raish's presence in Gotham City. But I think it, it's, there's no way. We're, we're gonna find out who the, the main bad villain is the last page of the last issue. That's basically what's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, so I was shocked when all of that went down. I kind of thought it was haphazard and, Again, I think they should just be focusing on the characters they have rather than bringing in more of them. But I think, yeah, I loved that scene with uh, with Corrigan in the background because you don't even see what they're talking about, but you just see their shadows and then see him whack them. That was my favorite part. Do, do you guys have a feeling that maybe 
the crew at Eternal bit off more they could chew, and they're just starting to realize it now. Like the idea of a 52 issue story and trying to make it coherent and all that makes sense and not kind of do these repetitive trot out villain of the, of, of the, of the weeks. Are you starting to feel like that they maybe just went farther than they could actually do it? See, I think the intent was, see, I remember when right before Eternal launched, when, uh, C2E2 last year, when I interviewed the, the main creator team at the time, that one of the things that they said was that because it was the 75th anniversary, they wanted to, they wanted to just go all out and do all, you know, use as many of the characters as possible. And in a weekly series, it was much more accessible to use, you know, multiple villains over, you know, a year's time rather than, you know, just one story in the pages of Batman that was happening over a year's time. And in, in that regard, it has been a great story that has focused on a number of characters. The problem is, at the end here, we're getting this thing where it's like, how many more people do we have to check off the list for? That's the thing that it's coming across as because um, it, it just feels like they they have this ultimate list of all these characters they wanted to use, and now we're getting down to you know they're they're getting down to the end and they're just trying to check the boxes so that all of these characters have appeared. You know, and, and I don't necessarily think that there's a bad thing. You know, focusing on all these characters, but the way they're going about doing it is the problem. They're not intertwining the characters enough to make it all flow. It just comes across as, well, we're wrapping up this specific part, so now we have to introduce the next part by hinting at the this other villain that we're then going to focus on for a couple issues and then move on. And at this point, they don't have time to focus on on people for very long. That's why, you know, Roz is on the cover of 46, but he's not on the cover of 47 or 48. So honestly, it's just going to get wrapped up even quicker, which means at this point in the series, it's coming across as they probably should have figured out some better way of using these characters instead of just checking the boxes. And don't we feel, too, with the way they release, they release covers so haphazardly that we're going to find out who the big bad is by seeing the cover to Batman Eternal oh, God. 51 or something. <laughs> like, don't, isn't that like how this is probably going to play out? You know? I really hope not, but <laughs> I, I could see it. <laughs> You'd be like, Maybe on, it'll be me. in a black bag like uh, Death of Superman was. Yeah. The problem I see with that is in this day and age, it probably we'll see the cover ahead of time, but I don't think the cover will reveal who it is. I just don't feel like it. But I will say this. The only thing that I, I strongly feel needs to happen at some point before the end of this is the Court of Owls needs to get brought in somehow. And, you know, I've said this over and over again that I believe it's Lincoln March who's behind all this, blah, 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 which is fine. But if they don't bring in the Court of Owls, it's going to come across very strange if it doesn't happen because it won't explain how Bruce is sitting in an owl's nest at the beginning of Batman Endgame, which is supposed to take place after this. It won't set up the fact that, uh, you know, they hinted at the, the dumb court of owls for all this time. And if it was only to hint at it because it was going to pop up in Endgame, that's dumb. So that's the one thing that, you know, as far as the boxes being checked off that original promo image has not been checked. Well, remember, there was that mention of the Court of Owls, what was it, an issue or two ago, where you basically got an Austin Powers explanation, and when they're like, what about the Court of Owls? Like, it's not their bag, baby. You know, like, that was it. Like it, That it, just it, happened. Yeah, it was it, in 44. Was it 44? Like, well, if it's the Court, no, that's not their thing. I mean, if that's it, 
No. You know, be brutal, right? It's I mean, killer. at this point, Stella, all kidding aside, if they would just tell me who it is, I'd be fine with it being with Killer Moth, <laughs> as long as they didn't just change it on me again, you know? Alright, so, Batman Eternal number 45, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I am going to give it two and a half out of five. <laughs> I actually liked this one. Like I said, if you got rid of 44, I think that this we wouldn't have had as many complaints. We'd have shortened some things. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. Whoa. Yes. Over on the website, Ryan gave it three. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 45 a total of three out of five bad ranks. That is all of our books. Let's go over some of the other reviews we have on the website. Uh, starting off, Batman the Jirakawada Batmanga chapter 31, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four out of five. Um, Batman 66 chapter number 53, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it two and a half out of five. Grayson number seven, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four and a half out of five. Batman the Jirakawada Batmanga chapter 32, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four and a half out of five. Harley Quinn Valentine's Day special number one, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four and a half out of five. World's Finest number 31, reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. New Suicide, ugh. New Suicide Squad number seven, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it two out of five. And Secret Six number two, reviewed by Jim. He gave it three out of five. So be sure to check out those reviews and the reviews, obviously, to come in the coming weeks. Uh, with that, we're going to jump into our listener Q&As. <laughs> So, over the past couple weeks, we have had a couple of things. We're going to start off with Stella's uh, diehard fan, John Mixelpick. He says, great podcast. I just wanted to make one final comment about Stella's blasphemous theory pipe dream that Dick Grayson will become Batman while Bruce takes a vacation. Really, Stella? Did you actually say that? <laughs> because if you did, that would make just just about as much sense as Barbara Gordon and the Joker getting married, having a daughter, and naming her Oracle. I was able to find some quotes by writer James Tinian where he stated Dick Grayson won't be appearing in Batman Eternal, and that Renee Montoya was originally going to appear in the series, but they decided to save the character's New 52 debut for her own bigger story. So that basically... If not for Stella's ridiculous theory, I wouldn't already know that Montoya is definitely being brought into the New 52 at some point. So, thanks, Stella. By the way, if baby Babs Gordon appears on the Gotham TV show, Leslie Tompkins won't be her mother. Barbara will be. Presumably a sober, free <laughs> Barbara. And despite any comic book storyline, oh, or even it's... The Dark Knight Rises, I'll never accept Bruce Wayne would ever go completely broke, being that he's a paranoid billionaire. Why wouldn't he have at least one secret offshore emergency bank account with millions of dollars in it? As far as I'm concerned, he obviously would. Why? Because he's Batman. All right, John. Fired up. Yeah. Yes, obviously he was fired up after hearing your response <laughs> to last episode. Or, uh, it was episode 152 when, when you, when we talked about that. But, uh, uh, I agree with your comments about the offshore bank account. There's no way he would go broke. Gosh, I don't feel like he'd ever lose Wayne Manor either. In some way, shape, or form, that would never happen. He would never go so broke that he his his house basically gets repoed, you know, repoed <laughs> by the government and turned into a, you know a, an asylum for the crazies. 
you know, that would just never happen. He'd have to have, he'd always have money, some money at least. You know, the fact that they, they tried to play it off as, you know, Lucius Fox saying, oh, I told you to diversify, but you never did. I don't think that would ever fly. So I'll yeah. leave it at that. No, and here's the other thing too, like, from a guy with a background in business, if you're uber rich, you don't go broke like normal people go broke, right? Like, you just can't go from billions to being totally broke. I mean, look at Bernie Madoff, who was like one of the biggest financial crooks, crooks in history. His family's still loaded, right? Like, you just don't go broke like that. Um, and even in, you know, The Dark Knight Rises, the movie, they let him keep the house, remember? So, I think it was kind of cool to have the Arkham Manor thing, and I, and I think that the story's been kind of interesting over there, so I'm not going to bag on it too much, but it is kind of ridiculous. But this is comic books. It's escapism, so you got to let some of it go. Um, and the rest of the stuff on about Dick Grayson, I'll let Stella. <laughs> yes, I must <laughs> defend my character. Well, Mitzia's Pickwick, I'm glad that you are still reading Batman comics, even though I yelled at you last time and told you to read Superman comics. Here's the thing. So, obviously, now it's revealed because we've gone past whatever Batman issue that was, 23, 25, something like that. 28. Oh, 28. Okay. So, we've gone past it. So, it's obviously Bruce Wayne is still. However, at the time, it did seem like a very logical guess because the whole thing was, you know, Harper, which we didn't know was Harper at the time, but we could only guess, running around with the gun. And he seemed kind of okay with it. You know, I don't use guns, but she does. And, you know, we've seen Dick Grayson be Batman before. So it was a logical guess. All of my statements come, besides the killer moth thing that I just said, of course, come from logical, you know, thoughts. And there, there's some evidence. The vacation thing, you make it sound like it's really bad. But if you remember after Final Crisis and all of that stuff, he took, he took, uh, Dick and Tim away to go train and like just be away from all of that other stuff. And to a certain extent, that was a vacation because it was, it was away from the norm of life of being in Gotham City and all of that stuff. So what I was talking about when I said vacation is that, I mean, look at what Joker is doing. He is tearing the city down and I think tearing him down to, in a way that he's never done before before and he needs to get away from that so that's what i meant by vacation is he going to be yes, skiing the alps i don't and think what's, so. what stella actually meant to say was it wasn't after final crisis after infinite crisis infinite okay story there you that go. was called one year later yes and that's when he disappeared and he left two-face and renee montoya in charge of gotham city what a wonderful that's what she was well when, yes when, when dick grayson actually became batman he i mean he did come back from final crisis he wasn't dead you yeah. know i mean he well, he did come back, but he didn't take a vacation. That's what, that, that's the thing. Okay. So next up, Michael Delosier says, hello, Dustin, Ed, and Stella, another great podcast. I have a few comments and a question. As one of your previous commenters mentioned, I also enjoyed the longer podcasts. I like the extended in-depth discussions that, that lengthen the podcast, but help me keep up with the storylines in the books that I don't buy every month. I realize that this makes, editing more difficult for you, Dustin, and I appreciate all you do for the, us bad fans, especially taking into account that it must take a lot of editing to censor Stella's outbursts of extreme explicitives and general vulgarity. Yeah. <clears throat> Nailed it. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm becoming increasingly <laughs> unsure on my feelings about Scott Snyder's run on Batman, especially with his take on the Joker. I think that he is a great writer, but I'm becoming more and more confused on where he's going with Endgame. I think that recreating Joker as the Moriarty-type villain is okay, but I think he is going too far as positioning him as some type of elemental evil that doesn't really play to Batman's strong suits. I don't want Batman to have to call in justly dark every time Joker appears. Of course, I can let Endgame run its course, see where we end up, and hopefully it's a better payoff than Death of the Family. I do not buy Batman Eternal, as I have enough trouble keeping up with Batman Earth 2 World's Finest, New 52 Future's End, and Earth 2 World's End. I also have started buying Batgirl every month, starting with issue 35 for obvious reasons. But I have noticed that unlike Future's End and World's End, that Batman Eternal throws the timeline of every other Bat book out of whack. It's a bit much to need an explanation every month where the issue takes place. Do you think that Batman Eternal Volume 2 will have a different feel or a storyline that can run concurrently with the other titles? I think that might be enough to entice me to pick it up, assuming that the story is interesting, coupled with the fact that World's Finest, Future's End, and World's End will be ending with Convergence. Anyway, thank you for all you do, and fly on, Bat Lovers, and Stella, try to keep that potty mouth in check. I'll try. Oh, yes. Stella's just getting... She's getting the Just brunt hammered. Of, uh, yeah. Getting wailed on by people. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who think that Michael's being serious, Sel does not have a potty mouth. Honestly, nobody really here has swears that much when we record. I swear a lot in real life, but I tend to edit myself because I know it's going to require a lot of editing work for me after the fact. So I try to, you know, censor myself as I go. But anyway, Getting to your points about Batman Eternal, I think the biggest thing is when it first started out, Batman Eternal, I think it had a really good idea, if that makes sense. I think the idea of Batman Eternal made sense. There was series that were going to be happening concurrently, and then there was other stuff that, like, uh, you know, last October where we had Catwoman and Batgirl and all these other books take, you know, take an even more direct route to the events of ha- that were happening in Batman Eternal. It made a lot of sense. The thing is, there's still other books, like the fact that Batman, for whatever reason, we had a story that was a prequel, that story ended, and now we're at a story that's, that's, and I should say, Zero Year obviously wasn't a prequel to Eternal, which was a prequel to Batman's career. But now that we have Endgame, which is taking place after the events of Eternal, I don't like the fact that it, that's out of whack. The fact that some of the other books, like Detective Comics, we don't have any idea when that's taking place. It is really annoying. And I understand exactly what you're talking about when you say that World's Finest and Future's End, not so much Future's End, but World's Finest, the Earth 2 World's Finest uh, uh, weekly series, it, it pretty much plays right into what's happening with Earth 2 and even World's Finest to a degree. So in some ways, I feel like, and I kept saying World's Finest, I meant World's End, the weekly series Earth to World's End. The, the, the series plays perfectly to what's happening in the ongoing series that are only monthly. The thing is, I feel like the intent was for that to happen, but in some ways it was too convoluted to begin with, and then they brought in some new creative teams halfway through, and then everything got thrown into a giant, you know, flux that nobody knew what when anything was taking place. I feel like for the volume two, whenever it happens, because we know it's not happening in June, whenever it does eventually happen, I feel like it probably will be a little bit more structured. Part of the reason I think there was a lot of disconnect was, uh, <clears throat> Mike Martz was the editor for eternal when it first started. He left after only a couple months of issues coming out 
but he basically was working with the series probably about halfway through the series. Mark Doyle came on board as the group editor, and he came in, and then we had a bunch of changes. We saw those changes in, in back in uh, July with Grayson, and then we saw some of the books being canceled in August, and then we saw new books coming out in October. And I think the thing was, he was kind of establishing the new Batman universe continuity thing with him being the editor with a lot of the changes but Eternal was something that it was already on course to do whatever it was going to do. So I feel like when we see Volume 2, I feel like Mark Doyle has a, has, he'll have it well thought. We won't see an editor, a major editor change halfway through the series, and that'll be a big help for the continuity of the books, you know, across the board. Yeah, I mean, I have some continuity issues too. I'm really confused about when Batman and Robin happens. I'm kind of hoping that after Convergence we'll have a true-up where somebody somewhere will put this in print so we can understand it. Uh, there's a lot of A plus B equals C. We know this happens had to happen before this because this has happened before that. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of confused. And there's a lot of little stuff. We've hit on some of the costumes that don't add up quite right, you know, and, and the, but the, the ways they can get around it too. Um, so I would be very curious to see this all come together. And on Eternal 2... I hope they go with less issues. I think a year long is too long. Or, or, or Stella actually had a really good point. I think it was last podcast or the one before. Maybe go the whole year or do it every other week instead of every week. I think that would be better. I just think 52 issues becomes the, the, the closest thing to a story this big working is Batman No Man's Land. But, yeah. but there's a lot of pieces of No Man's Land. Like you remember like the Azrael story in No Man's Land for me always felt a little disjointed. You know, yeah, there was a, there was a bunch of different little things that felt disjointed, and some of them they even edited themselves out of the story when they collected them in the trades. But No Man's Land, they did like No Man's Land was extensive on how big it was, but they also did a really good job of at least trying to connect the dots on the individual issues by saying like this is part this, this is part that, right, so forth and so on. So it is similar to that degree, yeah, yeah. But I think that anytime you go with that big of a story you're going to have problems, but I'm cool with doing it, but I think maybe a bi-weekly one or, or like one of the, Dustin, you've talked about this before, the idea of having five, four or six issue story arcs that are linked together, whether we can keep the narrative much tighter would work better too. I just don't yeah. think that the full 52 issue one year long story, I think unfortunately like anything that's too long, like any bad TV show or movie that goes on too long. And I like Eternal overall. It's starting to just ramble a little bit at the end. Yeah, the, th- the thing about the four to six issue story arcs, the thing that would make sense about that is instead of trying to have, you know, take the initial first 12 issues and establish all these storylines that you will tell over the course of the year, just start it off as a small story that just builds onto the next story arc and builds onto the next story arc. You know, we've seen, you see that in a monthly where, you know, a story arc will tell its story. You see the next story arc kind of talk about some of the stuff that previously happened, but also start hinting at some of the stuff that will happen. Just do it like that where you're not sitting there reading, you know, five issues and three of them have to do with one story. One of them has, you know, one of them is just a fill-in story to kind of connect the dots, and the other one is the start of another story arc. It's, 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 it is too disjointed. Supernatural storyline, the Harper Rowe, Red Robin, you know, tech storyline that happened. There was too much space that took place, you know, between them. And there didn't need to be like that. Honestly, when, if you were collecting this in trade, you could, you know, 
take some of these stories, put them together, and still make them work in some way. And art, art, art. Keep the yes, artists together art. on storylines. Agreed. It is – there were some times where the art on this got so out of hand that characters didn't look the same from issue to issue. And get, does anybody forget the way Tommy Elliott looked in this? Like <laughs> – don't get me started. I just, I just art, art, art. Like I know it's something we we talked about the detective comics, wonderful art that they're doing over there. But I mean, the reason why we all read comic books as opposed to regular books is that art is a huge part of the medium. You know, like if if you don't have art, it's just a book. Um, so just put some consistency with the art teams, pretty please. That's all. Yeah, I'll, I'll, and the, the the biggest thing is the the plan was there initially. It really was right. because they had artists that they specifically were focused on. Fabic was kind of like the big artist behind a lot of it. They brought in Dustin Wen. You know, they had these artists and they were meant to be attached to certain stories. But the thing is, again, with an artist, you can't have them, you know, stuck on some, you know, you can't have them stuck on a series for, for a year. Fabic, I mean, it was bound to happen that he was going to be take, taken off the book and, and move on to bigger things when he moved over to Justice League. Dustin Wen moved on to something else, and now we have all these other artists, and nobody even cares. You know, nobody, DC doesn't even mention the artists when they're, you know, hyping up the, the, the upcoming issues because it doesn't make a difference because it changes issue to issue. They need to do it where if it was smaller four-issue story arcs, they have the same artist, the same person doing the scripts for those four issues, move on to the next one, and all that person needs to do is just set up the next thing happening. And that's it. And that way you can have the same art for four issues. Yes, you'd have to, you know, plan it ahead of time and do it, but that's what they initially did in the first place with this series. Plus, you could market it. You could do, like, 12 months, 12 stories, one villain, or some crap. Like, you know, like you could really market the the layers and the stories and stuff, but I, I just think yeah. it's a missed opportunity. All right. Next up, Albert says, hey, guys, long-time listener, first-time commenter here. Just wanted to say I enjoy the longer length of the comic podcast. I especially enjoy how you guys flesh out stories and all have unique and valid opinions, and I believe the longer length allows for that to be possible. I must say, Dustin, I feel the exact same way you feel about Harper Rowe. It annoys me that she seems to all of a sudden have a major role in Batman Eternal. With the reveal at the end of Eternal 43, it makes me believe even more that somehow Lincoln March and the Court of Owls are the big bad in the story. But with their appearance at the end of Batman 38, it makes me feel my guess could be wrong. As Ed had mentioned before, I hope we don't get reveals only to be told you thought it was this villain, but (laughs) no wait, here it is, yet another pawn in this grand master plan. It has begun to fatigue me a bit in that sense, and I really hope it makes sense in the end and isn't some obscure villain or someone we have no hint of who it could be. Anyway, keep up the good work. P.S. Stella just picked up Batgirl Year One. Hope to dive into it this week. Guys. You're going to like it. It's good. It is good. All right. So, you know, obviously we kind of already hinted at a lot (laughs) of the stuff you talked about because, as Ed already said earlier, we're getting fatigued from the fact that you thought it was this villain, but wait, it's another person. Um, because we've seen that just over the course of the last three issues, four issues since obviously this, or since you left your comments, we've, we've continued to see that. Um, as far as the Court of Owls, Lincoln March, I don't feel like if they revealed to it as Lincoln March at the end, I don't feel like it would necessarily need to be linked to the Court of Owls because, you know, yes, we saw in Batman 38, we see the Court of Owls pop up. We're going to see him again this month, but Lincoln March, I feel like, yes, he originated from the Court of Owls story, but he doesn't necessarily have to be linked to the Court of Owls now. I feel like him being involved would just, you know, 
check that box of the Court of Owl, Owl being on that promo art for me, that would be fine if that's what they wanted to do. But with Lincoln March, I don't feel like just because the Court of Owls was shown in Endgame, that immediately wipes it out as he can't be it because the Court of Owls is going to pop up in Endgame. Because he's he's separate from the Court of Owls, in my opinion. Yeah, but then if he's separate from the Court of Owls, does... You know, the owl really translates him from the, from the bats giving image. Um, I don't really. Well, they're just hinting at it because that's how he originated. I, I, I think that we, we, we're going to see something more from the court of owls, though. I think the fact that we have a talent on Suicide Squad makes me think that they're going to be something that's more immediately in our future than a series that was canceled about a year ago. You know? Um, I just kind of think something's going to happen there. I think that we're going to see a talent pop up here. Um, maybe not be the bad guy, but I, I think we're going to get a refresher course in, uh, in talents. Um, but, and again, at this point, I can't even speculate on who's going to be the bad guy in eternal anymore, because I don't feel like anybody knows. I wonder if there'll be a transition from eternal volume one to eternal volume two, and it'll happen at the very end of this first volume of eternal. And if so, is that where they save their, uh, their court of owl appearance and so it moves into the next volume and that's kind of the it lays the groundwork for that yeah i, re- I mean, that's inti- that's i mean i really hope they wrap i mean i hope that eternal and eternal 2 are totally separate i just i, I don't want to see us like drag stuff in you know what i'm saying like just finish the story and start a new one leave the baggage behind yeah, just please, for my sanity. Because I feel like, sometimes when I read Eternal recently, it's been like the old Zoolander quote, you know? Like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, you know? So, I just, I really want them to wrap it up. I can't, I can't stand cliffhangers that go on forever. So, sorry. It's a, it's a, like, do you guys watch The Walking Dead? Like. Yes. This is like watching The Walking Dead in Batman form. Like, it just keeps going. Like, nothing good ever happens, you know? What what good do you expect to happen on that show? I don't know, something? I mean, anything? Find a box of Snickers bars? Lan I don't know. and Maggie were reunited. That's the happiest thing that happened. This yeah, week. and then they turned a corner, her sister died. Like, yeah. it's, like, and that's what I'm starting to feel like with Eternal. Like, give me something. Like, even in the, do you read the comic book, Stella, or do you just watch the show? I've read the first, like, omnibus of it. Even walking to the comics now, like, it's going somewhere. Like, oh. they're, they founded a city, they're, they're having trade negotiations, there's different, like, types of little mini cities, right? Like, it's going somewhere, and I'm cool with that, and I have the same thing with Walking Dead fatigue, they have a Batman Eternal, it's just, please take me somewhere. You know? That's all. Sorry. Yeah. I'm done. I agree. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I wouldn't want them to, you know, end it in some way where it's like, by the way, now waiting for additional six months before volume two. I don't want, like, it just can't no. end like that. It really can't. All right. Next up, uh, now we move on to episode 153. First up, Bob, he made a comment over on the Facebook group. Uh, in the future, Bob, just a preference for us. If you could leave your comments on the episode post on the website, that'd be great. So that way we don't miss your question, but I did see it. So speaking so of have walking you guys- dead. Because of Bob, Bob. You no know Bob. Bob. Okay, continue. 
So have you guys thought at all about the idea that Joker is a Talon or part of the court? I haven't read Court of Owls since the initial reading, so I can't totally remember, but didn't they sort of retcon something so that no, one of the Robins was like the Winter Soldier being frozen carbonite until they wanted to him to assassinate someone? Wouldn't that be a plausible expana- explanation for his immortality? <laughs> do you get the Winter Soldier reference? Because that's a Marvel reference. I do. Dustin. I do get that <laughs> reference. I saw the movie. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, here's the, here's the thing. I don't know if he's um, Carbonite, that's Star Wars. I know he's mixing the <laughs> name, man. It works. Both Marvel, actually. Okay, does Wait, so. Yes, okay, Marvel and Star Wars. But anyway, um, that being said, um, here's the thing. Joker part of the Court of Owls. I don't see that possible. I mean, like, I think Court of Owls, as they're as we're about to see in the next issue that releases, I think we are going to see. Corvallis kind of, you know, give hints as to whether or not Joker actually has been around for as long as he's sane. But I think the problem is that having Joker as, you know, one of the talons that gets frozen and then gets brought back, it doesn't really work into this immortality thing that they're trying to get across because the talons all, you know, who have been frozen, who cannot die unless their heads are chopped off, those talons have all, they all have distinguishing features that you know, do not look like just a pale person who, you know, even if somehow he dropped in, I don't know, I guess they could explain that somehow by saying that because he fell in the acid, he doesn't look like the normal talons with the blue veins popping out of them. But I don't know. I guess my thing is, I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I think it's a cop out if they do that. I'll just leave it at that. I would wholly co-sign and endorse this if only to listen to Dustin's reaction. <laughs> When we find out the Joker is a talent. Um, actually, funny enough, we hit this. Uh, yeah, didn't we and, joke about it? Because I thought, it was, I thought, yeah, we, we had suggested that this might be a good idea from which Dustin promptly, you know, almost shut down yeah, on us. Threw my, threw my hands up in the air and, and was about to quit. Um, I don't think that, uh, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but again, uh, I don't know. I think the Joker's just flat out immortal, so I just I, I don't know what's going, but but I do think we're going to see some more involvement from talents coming here soon. Yeah, it would certainly be interesting if he was a renegade, and that uh, the Court of Owls just could not control him, so he went off on his way. But uh, I don't want to make any more of my theories, so as you know, to not <laughs> make crazy ideas. Yeah. So you hear that, everybody? John Mixelpick has si- silenced Stella. Mitzias yeah. Pitlick. You need to read some Superman Mixelplik. comics there. Mixelpick. Oh. Mixelpick. That's all it is. That's all I will say it forever. Mixelpick. Fine, fine. Mixelpick? Yeah, just like some people say Roz and some people say Raish. I say Mixelpick. I don't no, think I, that's even an option. I, I, I don't care. I think... <laughs> Michael Bailey, where are you? you someone called Bailey on the Skitter ruling, but is the official TBU pronouncing Roz, not Raish? Well, there's people who say Raish. I don't, yeah, uh, I know, do the Raish. Some of the podcasts, I say Roz. I, I don't care. Arrow does Raish. No, that's not true. No, some Roz. say Raish and some, some do Roz. say Roz. Yeah. Which is just like, I know this isn't the Arrow cast, but if you're having a television show, someone decide how to say your primary villain's name. <laughs> no, no, that's the point of doing it, is that it can go either way. That's the whole reason they do it like that. <laughs> All right, anyway, moving on to the website. Michael Delosier says, Thank you again for another great episode of my favorite podcast. I have a few comments. Best line of the podcast, impossible quote of the year came from Dustin. 
They haven't met my wall of continuity. Okay. Some might see my capitalization of wall of continuity as grammatically incorrect, but I think the capitalization is implied, and I have a feeling that it's posted that way on the engraved placard above the actual wall of continuity in Dustin's secret base of operations. I do not, do not, do not want the Joker to be immortal. We already have Vandal Savage and Ra's al Ghul. We do not need another. I'm hoping it's all misdirection, but dreading that it's not. In Batman number 38, Dr. Decker says, doesn't sound like a Batman story now, does it? Is this just Snyder winking at the reader and breaking the fourth wall? Yeah. Kind of, it kind of took me out of the story. Maybe that's just me. It also lends further credence to the idea that we're dealing with a very different Joker than anything we've ever seen before. Finally, what the bleep bleep blankety bleep bleeping is up with the artwork for the backup in Batman 38? The story that they're continuing is not my favorite, but okay, but the artwork is atrocious. There's good deviation from the DC house style, like the current run on Batgirl. Then there's whatever that was in the backup. I don't know what they were going for with the artwork, but I think they failed. I hope we get back to something at least passable with the next issue. Anyway, thank you again for the great podcast. I'll be back in two weeks. Now, here's the thing. Um, you know, thank you for recognizing the fact that you, you, you understand that there is an engraved placard above the wall of continuity and it does deserve to be capitalized. I'll just say that. Um, going past that, the artwork, if I remember correctly, was Sam Keith doing the artwork in the backup of 38. I think it was. At least when I'm picturing the art, it reminds me of Sam Keith. Um, one of the things, the reason why this is ha- that happened was because one of the things they, they specifically were talking about doing when they said that the backups were going to be coming and endgame, they were going to be celebrating the 75 years of Batman's history, and they were going to use a bunch of artists that had previously worked on Batman. That's why we saw Kelly Jones, who a lot of you know that I despise, but that's why we also saw Sam Keith. Um, Sam Keith has a very unique style. Um, one of the, if you're looking for stuff that he's done, Batman Scratch is one of the ones that immediately comes to mind. Um, that he did. That being said, I can, I can appreciate your, your distaste for the art because I'm not a big fan of Sam Keith or Kelly Jones for that matter. But that being said, that doesn't mean that, you know, they, they're trying to celebrate, you know, they're still in this mindset that it's the 75th anniversary and that's why they're doing it instead of doing it before, you know, in the actual year of 2014. Here and there, here, neither here or there, but that being said, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to really talk about the Joker immortal stuff. I think we already talked about that a lot more, but I, the comment that he did say doesn't sound like a Batman story now, does it? I read it exactly the way you read it, exactly the same way where it was Snyder winking at the reader and it wasn't Decker just, you know, randomly saying it. That's exactly how I read it. I think that it's got enough plausible deniability that Snyder can claim he's not blank breaking the fourth wall, right? Um, but I think it's absolutely what he's doing, and I think it's kind of fun, to be honest with you. I think that there's enough there that you can say, okay, well, maybe this guy said that to Batman, but he's breaking the fourth wall. And for me, those those moments don't take me out of the story at all. I I, I think they're cool. I feel like I'm the minority here. No, I'm not saying I didn't <laughs> like it. No, no, I'm not saying I didn't like it at all. I I like that comment because when I read it, I was like, "You're right. This doesn't feel like a Batman story." No, but it, it, no. it, it does. It, it feels like um, it, it, it what it felt like to me was affirmation of of what you were seeing, right? Yes. Like, 
like, hey, I, I know I'm throwing you for a loop, but it's fine. I'm doing it on purpose. Type, you know, like, yeah. I, I think that's kind of cool. And have either of you seen The Kingsman that just came out? Not yet. Oh, okay. no. There are a couple I, moments I, I, where they, like, in the line of the story, will say, well, th- this is not that type of movie sort of situation where it's obviously a wink, but it fits in with what is actually going on. And hey, Batman is so far away from being Deadpool and how often he breaks the fourth wall that uh, I think we're okay with a, a little slip like this. All right. Last but not least, Terry says, another great episode, guys. I just wanted to quickly ask what you think about the irony of Joker potentially being immortal in the current DCU, but being dead in the Arkham universe from the video games. I know both universes are separate and don't relate to one another directly, but I was, I thought it was an interesting contrast to the two. Thanks so much. Well, here's, here's my quick thoughts. Okay. The fact that they, in the video game world, it would make complete sense for them to, you know, try to pull some kind of, you know, Joker's immortal, you know, thing. It makes complete sense because it's the video games. They can do whatever they want. Just like, you know, the movies, they can do whatever they want in, in them because it's their own little thing. It's not the, the comic books, which should stick to some sort of continuity with. So, I mean, that's basically all I really have to say for that. I mean, like it would make a lot more sense for it to happen in the video games. It, you know, but if it happens in the, if it happens in the comic books, you know, we talked about that last episode. I'm not, I'm not really behind that, but it does make a lot more sense for it to happen in the video games rather than the comics. I think that people are a lot more comfortable when you're playing in a pocket universe that's not main continuity. You know, I don't think people have these extreme reactions on side things. But I think that something we need to kind of come to terms with in comic books now is that it's all a side thing. Yeah. Like there is no forever continuity. And I'm, I don't even, I'm not even trying to be mean or, or, or have fun with the wall of continuity or, I mean, I don't think there is any long-term continuity. I think continuity is, and, and, and think about the press release we just talked about, kind of talk about bookending a show. We talked about the very beginning where DC said it's stories that are more important than the continuity, right? I think this is where you're seeing it going. I'm not saying 100% agree or I'm 100% behind everything like this. Um, but I think that we've, we've got to come to facts that continuity can be written at the stroke of a pen and it will be. Yeah. And over in the Marvel universe, uh, you know, they killed off Peter Parker in the ultimate universe, but Peter Parker in the 616 universe is still around. So you can hear Dustin's eyes rolling. Um, <laughs> how did you hear that? <laughs> But, uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I guess, you know, it is ironic, but, but I, I like to see different little continuities and universes change things up to, to, it's, I mean, basically comics are very much a what if or a choose your own adventure novel where in different places it's going to go a different way than you would expect it to go. And I think that's why we, we keep reading because, if we were reading and knew what the ending was going to be, it'd be so boring. So that's why we read Eternal, because we have no idea what's about to happen. You know, going off of the, the, <laughs> the pocket the pocket uh, continuity, you know, that in some ways, I think that makes the most sense. Because when it comes to the TV shows, which, you know, they're trying, you know, they're, they're linked, you know, Arrow and Flash are linked together. They're going to have Supergirl linked together. There's talks about the Titans TV show on TNT being linked together. All these shows linked together, it's creating their own little universe. They've already said multiple times that the TV shows will not cross over into the movies. The movies are going to be their own little universe. You know, the video games are their own little universe. They've got, you've got animated movies, which are again, their own little universe. 
when it does stuff like that, it makes complete sense for them to do things differently. But I feel like when it comes to the comic books, there should be some sort of set continuity because you're telling a story that, you know, with a character that's been around for 75 years, you have to come up with some way of making the character continue to be interesting without just retelling the same stuff. And you can't do that if you're just ignoring everything that came previously. And, you know, this past couple of years with the retelling of year one with Snyder's Zero Year, now we have Endgame making Joker possibly immortal and Death of the Family with, you know, basically getting rid of all the allies for an undetermined amount of time. There's a lot of stuff that's going on that I'm, I'm just not really thrilled about, and it feels like they're just ignoring all this stuff that previously existed, which... We know that they are, and they've said that they said that they are, but that's not how they initially, you know, promoted what they were doing. Was they promoted it as we are keeping everything that was what it was, and we're just telling you know new stories, you know, with the same characters, and that's not that's not what they're doing now. Now they're really trained to change stuff, regardless of whether the Joker ends up immortal. It doesn't really, that's not really what I'm getting at. I'm just saying like, they're starting to get to the point where they're starting to run out of ideas. They're starting just to retell some of the same stories that have been around. Zero year in my mind, it was a fresh new take on, you know, Batman year one. It dealt obviously much more with Batman than Gordon in, in some cases where a lot of people consider your Batman year one, a more of a Gordon story than a Batman story. But, in my mind, I don't feel like you need to do that. I feel like if you set your stuff up well enough, you can keep telling new stories and do different things without retelling the same stuff, without giving your character a brand new origin, without giving your character, you know, a new power after the character's been around for 75 years. Yes, I'm looking at you, Jeff Johns with Superman. But the, I mean, the thing is, like... Super Starburst or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, but, I mean, the thing is, like... You have to have it, you have, but it's always going to change. It really is because every time you get a major editorial change, stuff's going to change. The editor's going to come in, get pitched a really cool story, and they're just going to say, let's just do it because it sounds really cool. It's just going to happen. You know, it's bound to happen. And honestly, my wall of continuity that I talked about earlier, since the New 52 started, it's a cluster F. You know, it just is because every time you you think you got it, you don't. So you just have to kind of like sit back and just roll with the punches with what's going on and just deal with it. So this is what it is though. I'm telling and that's my only, my kind of last thought on this issue is I'm not upset about zero year. I'm upset about the fact that zero year will probably be made redundant in five years. Right? Like yes. if I had, if I really thought that this was the new Batman status quo forever, right? I would probably have vastly different thoughts about some of the stories. But I just don't feel that way anymore. And as, I'm not even saying it negatively because I like new concepts and new characters, and I'm kind of I'm kind of okay. I am more okay with seeing traditional characters in my change probably than most diehard comic book fans. Um, but I think that this is just the new fund. This is the new landscape of, of the comics industry that, at least for DC, is that they're just going to change it whenever they feel like. And, and I'm not even saying that you like it or love it, but that's why I don't get upset when I see it because I think it's just the way it is. 
All right. So with that, that is all of our listener Q&As. A great bunch of questions. I mean, that was basically almost an hour worth of listener Q&As, but that's why we are looking for them, because it, it creates some great discussion points for us. So with that, that is everything for this episode. We remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest movies, TV, merchandise, video game, and, of course, the comic news as well. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. Be sure to join our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages for all the latest news and videos. Also, uh, as I've said multiple times before, we are still looking for news writers for the website. Uh, we've got a lot of the books covered. There's still just a couple books here and there that uh, we have not been covered. But if you are interested in either reviewing comics or writing news on a normal basis, be sure to check out the website. Look for the banner that says, We Want You for TVU. And we will get in touch with you and try to work something out. Um, specifically, we're looking for news writers more than anything else at this point to keep up with a lot of the stuff that's coming up, including Batman Arkham Knight, um, Gotham, the Gotham TV show, some of the movie news, any, any, any of that, those specific things, uh, also merchandise is a big area too. Um, any of those specific things you might be interested in, be sure to get in contact with us. With that, that is everything. This is Dustin. Uh, this is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.